Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello listeners, welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your faithful companion through the heart-rending and topsy-turvy time that is being a Fulham fan in the dying embers of the championship playoff race. My name's Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening as we ask the big questions about Fulham's final forage for a first division finish, whether Agent Aluko is able to aid our automatic ambitions and if Crexit Chris can curb cruel Cardiff. With me are two men who know this well-trodden path of Fulham ups and downs well, the formidable Fulham force of Farrell Monk. Hello listeners. And a bona fide beautiful ball game backer, Ben Jarman. Oh wow, hello. (laughs) How are we boys? Yeah, good. Really good after that intro. Yeah, a superb alliteration throughout. It had yeah. to. It had to be done. The hundredth Fulhamish podcast today. And this is this is number one hundred. Ton up, as That's as they say. It's pretty pretty brilliant. Yeah, think I'm quite it. impressed with us. Yeah, yeah. The man that made us isn't even here. Yeah, no, yeah, I know. Watching some series. We'll, we'll give football. him some. Um, we'll give him some credit later on. But let's start things on a high today with some three word reviews from Friday's victory over Sunderland. I'm going to throw you to Farrell Monk. So we have the immovable White Noise, White Noise 1879 with squeaky brum time. Darno, uh, at Darno 767, Metro Mugs Mackhams. And um, someone called Steve Sidwell, SJS Sidwell. Uh, well, he's got a blue tick after his name. Up the Fulham. Up the Fulham, indeed. And just before we go on to that game, just to say that this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks, and for exclusive specials and promotions, not our promotion, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. On Friday, Fulham started slowly again, with TC in particular very reluctant to get going, it seemed. Is this a worry going into the last games of the season, Ben? A little bit, but I think there's some sort of um, sort of acceptance, perhaps, that we'll probably end up going throughout, through the playoffs. And with that in mind, we're sort of reluctant to put ourselves on the line. But that being said, I think Fulham always are seeing are doing this a little bit more recently in terms of feeling out their opponent in the early stages of the match before going at them full tilt after probably about 30 minutes. Especially against Millwall, we saw that in the opening uh, sort of like 15, 25 minutes of the game, Fulham were really trying to feel out their opponent and identify and spot their weaknesses before really going into the game and then trying to uh, play the football the way we like to play. And I think it was a sort of a similar story this time around against Sunderland, albeit slightly more scary given that we needed to win the game. Yeah. Well, Joel Osoro obviously took full advantage of that you know, slow start from Fulham and gave the Black Cats the lead with a stinging shot from outside the area. It's a good hit, but Farrell, should Marcus Bettinelli be doing better there? I think that it would be slightly harsh to... to uh, give minus points to Bettinelli in that situation. I think it is a well-struck shot and it's pretty accurate. Plus, it does go through uh, someone's legs. I don't know who it was, probably Tim Reams, to get there. So maybe Bettinelli might have been unsighted a little bit. But I think it's a decent strike that does hit the side netting rather than the back of the net. No, of course, but he gets down to it. So And once he gets a hand to that, should the hand keep it out, I think is the, the question that's maybe asking there. Quite possibly, but um, you know, I think perhaps he did well to get there, but it was, you know the ferocity of the shot may be just a bit too much. I think it's the other way around. For me personally, I don't often disagree with you, Farrell, but I think this week that, that Bettinelli perhaps should have done more with that shot than he actually did. I don't think the the shot was anywhere near as fierce as we sort of thought it was in real time, if you look back on the on the replay, albeit, you know, replay does seem a little bit slower, but I think he should have done more with it than he actually did. Um, yeah, it does go through the legs, but even so, there's quite a sizable gap between the defender and the goalkeeper. Um, I think he should have got to that. It, Joel Osoro caused us quite a lot of problems to begin with, and the way that he span away from Tim Ream to, to create the opportunity in the first place was something we haven't seen that much of this season. What came? What happened? Sunderland have been terrible this season, and why, why have they suddenly just started to play? Well, you do see it uh, time and time again in seasons gone by that suddenly towards the end of the season, especially after teams are relegated, confirmed, you know, you get that table on turned on its head um, and, you know, bottom teams start putting off really cracking results. You know, you saw West Brom uh, defeat Manchester United the other day, 1-0. And, you know, it was much of that. And, you know, even before the game, and I was reading a couple of the quotes and, you know, I can't recite it word for word, but uh, Chris Coleman's pre-match quote before before Friday night's game, like even left me feeling, do you know what, I actually feel pumped for the game and I'm not even a Sunderland fan. So God knows what he's saying to the the players in the dressing room. And Joel Osoro was um, 
the Swedish international was um, obviously felt pumped from it as well. There's just something about pressure being off a team that makes them play more freely. And I think Sunderland, albeit being in an absolute dire situation at the moment in terms of double dipping and then the club only just is being sold, uh, as we found out, I believe it was yesterday or early hours this morning, is, is now being so sold to the chairman of Eastleigh in the, in the non-league. Basically, I think it's just the pressure being relieved that they know where they will be next season and they know there's changes inbound. And I think Coleman put out a really young and well inexperienced team. And often when you see that from, from a team, that they also they play without fear. And I think that's what Osorio did. And I think that's what a couple of other their players done. And some of them look actually quite impressive in spells. I think Reem tried to get way too tight to Osorio. And that's why he spun him. Yeah. Well, Matt Target then went down with an injury, which is a real worry, and we'll get onto that shortly. But a moment Slavisa deserves real credit for here. What a substitution, and not a substitution that I or anyone else would have picked. And for me, bemoaning the lack of Cabano on the bench um, as soon as that happened, being like, oh, well, this is a game where Cabano could have had a massive impact. But Abubakar Kamara came on and did a real job, and no, he's still not the finished article, but he really, really did change the game in our favour. When you saw Target go down and you saw Kamara come on, it like you said, it's one of those moments where you sit there and think, well, you're ruining the fact that we don't have a right a right winger on the bench, especially in the form of someone like Cabano. But I thought that Slavisa, as much as we've all criticised him for substitutions throughout the season, got it right on Friday. And I think Abubakar Kamara was some we needed, some with pace and power that was really going to start troubling the fullbacks because until then, we hadn't really done it. We it felt like we were sort of playing within ourselves, and he gave us that unpredictability, the power, the pace, the strength that we'd really lacked in wide areas. And I think that impact it sort of draws players towards him, therefore freeing up space for for others. And I think the best example of that is obviously going to be the goal because there's tons of space for Fredericks there to hit the byline, um, and obviously set up Piazon. But when you watch a Kamara, he doesn't know what he's doing. You don't know what he's doing, and order his teammates so. There's no it's way that the opponents could know. Defend, yeah. Ryan, Ryan O'Donovan, of, formerly of Get West London and now of Football.London, uh, did tweet at the time saying that there's if, if Abubakar Kamara doesn't know what he's going to do next, there's no way that the fullback can. Mm. And I think that pretty much summed it up. Yeah. Lord of chaos, if, if you will. There were so many times that you thought that he was going to lose it or you know nothing was going to come of it. And all of a sudden, he'd just have this brilliant little touch or pass that would come off and... You know, there there wasn't a particular point on the ball that I that I could actually find fault with in his performance. Off the ball, there's something still lacking, but obviously right wing is not his natural position. But I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed, and I'm sure his teammates were too. On a more sour note, are we concerned about Target? He was out obviously after the game, walking around, but it didn't look good. He was in a protective boot. That's a real, real loss if if we are to to lose Matty Target at this stage of the season. Protective boot, and more often than not, it's just seen as a bit of a precaution to get the swelling down and to get the weight off it normally. But yeah, I think it's quite a big concern. He's a very, very much a, a complete defender and down that left side. And no one wants to see the attacking threat of Sessegnon move back to left back. And no one wants, to, in, in, in equal measure, no one wants to see Sessegnon targeted by uh, opponents coming up, either if it's in the playoffs or if we go up automatically this weekend. No one wants to see that sort of targeting of our left of our left flank, but then he does have Ream covering him. I've, I think Target's a massive loss. Massive, massive loss for us. He's certainly been a contributing factor to the amazing run that Fulham have been on. Um, you know, I mean, it's no, you know, it's no coincidence that we've gone on this amazing run when he's come in and he's started pretty much every single game since then. Probably has started every single game. Um, and... You know, it, as Ben quite rightly points out, you know, we don't really want to see Sessignon go back to left back. And in a way, it's kind of testament to how well Adoy is doing at centre back because, you know, he did. I mean, for me, he was the man of the match on on Friday night. And the fact that there was an obvious uh, substitution there for Callas to come in and Adoy to come out to left back that, you know, Slavisa thought, I don't want to move Adoy out there because he's playing so bloody well. Is that disheartening if you're Thomas Callas that he'd rather move you know the team's top scorer back to left back in order to accommodate your replacement a full back playing at centre half in order that you don't play especially when you've come on and set up 
the winner in in the, mm. in the previous game and there were some calls and not you know albeit not loud ones and not people saying to drop Adoy just to rotate and get Callas back in because he did so well when he came on I think it's a testament to how well Adoy's done although you we did say a few pods ago it feels like there's a little bit of a mistake in him since then he's been pretty much impeccable other than a couple of wayward passes but there's nothing that's really had too much of an effect on the team I think it's it's a possibility that he might shunt Odoi uh, back out to left back, but I think that Slavisa, once he gets a team in his head, rarely likes to make changes. And we've seen that recently in this run of 23, the same starting 11 must have been out maybe 11, 12, maybe 13 times. The only times we've actually had to make a change here is when someone like Aite's had an injury, um, if, you know, if Kenny's had to be rested. For the most part of it, it's been the same starting 11 there. And I don't think he'll deviate. So do you think on Sunday that he would perhaps stick with Kamara right wing then? Or do you think he'll move Adoy out to left back? Or Target might be back. Or we, target we are, back, we are yes. as yet unaware of the situation. And I imagine he the was, press conference will be tomorrow. Sorry, he, he was um, in a boot for uh, the pitch. Yeah, um, no. celebration. Sorry, words have left words have me. Now failed you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. My voice. He was obviously, but like Ben said, that's often precautionary rather than mm. uh, reactive. So it, you know, I think we'll probably have to wait and see. Slavisa said that he thought he was going to be all right, but whether that's just conjecture and him target not really himself, target himself to come out and said that whilst it's sore, he doesn't think it's going to be a massive problem. So it's probably he didn't reply to my tweet. <laughs> I tweeted him asking if he was okay, okay. <laughs> and he didn't reply. It's just an impact injury. If it was more muscular or sort of ligament, then we'd be in much more of a serious predicament. But its impact, once the swelling goes down and you get the rotation back into the joint or anything, it's it's pretty much certain he'll play. The one, the one that kept on worrying me throughout the game was Tom Kearney because it was quite early on when it was such an odd kind of first injury. Minute. Yeah, it was odd injury and kind of he twisted and fell on his ass and he was holding his hip for the rest of the game. And then there were a couple other points where he went down and had further treatment. And he seemed to be, as soon as the game restarted, he seemed to be fine. But there were points where he was holding again. I don't know whether it was an impact thing or yeah. he actually twisted something, but there were times where he was holding it and you thought, oh, maybe he's going to go off now. But then as soon as like the play restarts and he was involved again, he was running again. It's at least it wasn't his knee. I think is the probably yeah. the, the main the main point to take from that. Let's let's go back to the game briefly. Should Sunderland have had a penalty? Most sources seem to think they should have. I don't think it's as clear cut as everyone's potentially making out. But on balance, I'd say probably a pen. I'm a little bit surprised that the referee didn't give it. Not at the time. At the time, I. I couldn't make a decision either way. But now seeing it back, I'm surprised where the position of the referee was and what happened. It is a little bit surprising that it wasn't given because the the player that went down it didn't seem to make like a huge meal of it. But And it was kind of like a natural fall. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it wasn't like 100% clear contract, but it was pretty clear. Yeah. Ben? I'm going to go for yes as well. I think it's... <clears throat> could be slightly controversial in the fact that I think it was a penalty, albeit a very soft one, should it have stood. Uh, yeah, I don't think I can really add much to that. <laughs> I'm not a qualified referee like Farrell would. Yeah, well, indeed. But it's a, a funny one because there was a point in the first half where Fulham thought they should have had a penalty, and at the time it looked more clear-cut that Fulham you know, should have had a penalty. But looking back on it, that's not featured on almost any replays, highlights, which suggests that maybe there was nothing there at all. And... Uh, and the Sunderland point is the flashpoint that, that Cardiff have seized upon to show how we're favoured by referees in the league. and Because we're trying to buy Wembley and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, the first goal that Fulham score is made by a lovely touch from Kamara to release Fredericks. Um, and then Piazon is released. And, and Lucas does what he so often does and sticks the ball in the back of the net. We really needed something to fall our way at that point because we were not on the ropes, but we just looked like we weren't really creating. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole sort of build-up play around it and the kind of almost like half counter-attack move that it was shows how much of an asset Ryan Fredericks is to this team. And, you know, uh, if someone wants to say prove why he's, you know, in the team of the season, just show him that because Fredericks almost is on our own byline when the move starts and he manages to get ahead of 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 uh, Abubakar Kamara to then take on uh, their fullback and get round and then put a, an excellent ball into the box into that 
you know, uh, corridor fabled, of uncertainty. Yeah, the fabled corridor of uncertainty, which I'm yet I to find. It. <laughs> it's just, I think, all that goal is just the epitome of Fulham, isn't it? It's just trademark Fulham all over it. You'll re- rarely get a team, um, I think, in, in, throughout probably European football, that use wing backs as well as we do. Um, and you'll rarely find a team that has such a good relationship between a fullback and a winger as, as Fulham do. Um, and, you know, when they, when Fredericks gets to the byline, you absolutely know where that ball is going to be. And it's testament to Piazon that he knows where to be at the right place at the right time. And we see that, as you say, Jack, so often from him that he understands where he needs to be as a winger, um, even though he's probably not best suited to playing there. He just knows where to be in the right time. And he anticipates that, that touch from the keeper. Um, he pulls off his marker to create his own space. And then it's a, it's a nice little finish into the goal. Yeah. It comes just at the right time because... You know, when you go in one 0 up against against a team like Fulham, who are so threatening, who have got a, a massive like venomous streak to them, um, to go in one 0 up and then have fifteen minutes to sort of you know work out a defensive plan to stop us in the second, it could have been a really tough night for us. But that goal came at just the right time. It's and it. I think Coleman was just like, "Are we going to go for it or are we going to sit back?" And neither really worked. They went very very narrow, but Fulham really exploited them at times in the second half. The the guy that's sitting behind me was before the goal was absolutely slating Lucas Piazon and I mean at one point I thought well maybe this is justified because there was a couple of misplaced passes but I think a lot of his work does go unnoticed there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of um, tracking there's a lot of like good offensive positions a lot of like little um, nice little neat touches here and there he does bring a lot to this team and Slavisa is but you know trusts him to to fit into his tactics. And the, there are times, a bit like Sessegnon in the way that he'll be quiet for a, a lot of the, a lot of the game and then pop up with a goal. Yeah, and you know that's that fits into kind of the way that we work. The way that I we think, work. I think you sure. you said it really nicely when you said you don't really realise what he does until he does it. And Piazon's one of these players that can quite quite easily fly underneath the radar uh, with the way that he plays because he just. He's just the epitome of what you would expect from a Brazilian player, isn't he? He pops up with little flicks and touches here and there. He can play in tight spaces. But more often than not, he can anticipate where the ball is going to be before his fullback, which is really great. Uh, defensively, it's also he adds quite a lot as well. Yeah, his contribution, uh, often underrated and often underplayed by Fulham fans, but did enough on, on, on Friday, I thought. Second half, Fulham much more effective, although still somewhat guilty of overplaying in the final third, as has now become custom. After all our complaints about going missing at the start of second halves, we've now only seemed to turn up in second halves. What, what's going on? Like, what's happening? It is strange because, you know, in the, in, in the month or two previous to this one, um, it was almost if Fulham played well for the full 90 minutes. We now are starting to get the, uh, the Kit Simons about us where we play well for one half and crap for the second half or, you know, first or second Vice half. Versa, yeah. um, but it, it's now kind of like, weirdly, it's now in sort of like weird periods of the game. So we saw, we saw it on, on, um, on Friday night that it was like the first 20 minutes or so and we saw it against Millwall it was uh, the first 30 minutes and then all of a sudden we look like we're going to win the World Cup. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange old phenomenon, but it's one that I'm quite pleased with. I'd rather us turn up in the second half than the first half. I'm sure I've always Sl- said that. Yeah, I, I'm sure that Slavisa is probably trying to drum this out because it is almost an epitome of a Slavisa side that, um, you know, you play well for 90 minutes, you concentrate for the full 90 minutes, you don't switch off. We, we play exactly the same way for those 90 minutes. And, you know, I think that there's parts of Slavisa that there's parts of his his mindset that would probably be going, yes, we won 2-1, but there there were parts that we were fortunate to be winning 2-1. Yeah. And there, they, part, there are parts in every game where you're fortunate to get away with certain situations. But I think what, what Slavisa could be doing is just putting Fulham on the back foot slightly because there will be periods in the games coming up towards the end of the season. Obviously, it could be one, it could be three or four, where we are going to be on the back foot and it's up to us to sort of get ourselves out of that hole and, and work our way up the pitch and get into that passing game. At the same time, it's really, really difficult for Fulham to play the intense man, like brand of football that we have. We pass and move one twos consistently for ninety minutes. It's all about the preservation of energy, especially with a squad that is as tight as the one we've got now. You need to maintain that balance. You need to maintain that everyone's fresh, everyone's calm, and everyone's concentrated. 
as it becomes a point where players get tired, you know, the passing is going to get lax, people are going to get injured and frustration is going to air themselves. We have to be really careful in this situation to manage everyone properly and I think that's what you're trying to do. Looking at Ryan Fredericks's uh, performance on Friday night, um, I don't think preservation of energy is in his vocabulary. It Ev- should be though, because it, we spoke it, yeah, about this last absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah, we did. And we saw at last year that um, how he did seem to run out of steam. But, you know, one year older, one more one more year physical, perhaps. Good. Um, but also he has, in that sense, I suppose, but also he has a now a capable understudy in, in Cyrus Christie, who's mm-hmm. obviously a similar kind of player with a, you know, a similar kind of desire to get forward and get the ball into the box. And I do think that potentially Slavisa will have said to Fredo, obviously Fredo should be first choice and, and remains first choice. But if, you know, Fredo burns out, then he, we have more than capable understudy in a way that we don't potentially on the other mm-hmm. side. Um, and I think with our kind of high, you know, velocity game, especially down the right, where everything came from on Friday, mm-hmm. it's important to have players in those positions that can then cover themselves. But talking of players that can't be covered... Tom Kearney has had an interesting second half and nearly scored the second with a curling effort that's dropped just wide. That's happened about four times mm. in the last four weeks. The first one against Brentford, which we all thought was the, the killer second goal we needed. You know, against Millwall, we had one just wide and another one on Friday. Do we need those to start dropping in for us? Because, you know, it's going to get harder and harder to, to win these games, especially if we go into the playoffs. And those chances that Tom Kearney opens his body up and curls one really need to start hitting the back of the net. <laughs> Weirdly, you know, you think um, Tom Kearney scored so many goals last year that he's probably, I, I don't know, but he's probably like fourth, fifth, sixth top goal scorer for Fulham this year or something yeah, he's, like that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in there. He's, he, yeah, there or thereabouts. I think he's just below Ruby Font. <laughs> well, that kind of, it kind of shows that we've got enough quality through and goal scoring ability throughout the entire squad that if Tom Kearney doesn't score, it's... We've got other goal scorers in the team. But I, I, I gather your point that it is quite a bit of time since he has scored what would be his bread and butter. Well, I don't think we need to worry too much because we've got a guy that's scored 13 goals in three months. We've got a 17-year-old that's banged in 16 this season already. And we've got the likes of Stefan Johansson who can have possibly the worst game I've ever seen, but he'll still manage to bag a goal. And then you've, you, they're just so many sources that we can score from and the way we get ourselves into certain situations with the ball um, in terms of attacking shape, in terms of hitting the byline, in terms of you know crowding the box, making space for one another, there are plenty of sources this could come from. If we, we spoke about Kamara earlier. He was in such a rich vein of form before he got um, dropped from the squad for Mitrovic, rightly so. But he's another source where goals can come from. You've got the likes of Cabano who can come in and get a goal. Aite, who hasn't really featured much in the past month, can come in and get a goal. I'm not too concerned that TC isn't scoring, but it would be nice to see him weighing in with a little bit more of an assist. I would, I would still like to see him play a little bit further up, personally. Agreed, agreed. Well, the goal did come eventually. Uh, Mitch Rich did the business once again. I don't think anyone's shocked anymore. Um, it, it's got to that kind of stage. Someone made a point to me, though, that Mitrovic always scores between the 70th and 80th minute. It's like Mitro time. He just like suddenly like seems to find this like second wind of energy that the defence just doesn't have. And I think it's probably to do with Fulham's game starting to catch up with, with teams and them wearing down. But it always seems to be Mitrovic in that time. Uh, and I think that's probably testament to one, his own work rate, and two, kind of the way that he is always looking for goals in whatever situation. What was quite surprising is that it was a header from a set piece. Uh, which I can't remember the last time that Fulham did that. Chris um, Martin against Ipswich. Yeah, no, uh, Sigerson against Ipswich. Yeah, last yeah, last boxing day. I was there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, it's amazing the fact that how often Fulham have set pieces, and we talked about this considerably last year, that, you know, the amount of set pieces we do have because we attack so much, how few we actually score from. I'm not. I'm not complaining because, you know, you trade it off with how good Fulham are attacking, you know, with... Second top goal scorer in the league. Yeah. Something like that. So, you know, but it was a great ball in from Steph Joe and a wonderful hair. I, I, from where I was sitting, it kind of looked like he was climbing all over the defender and it was, you know, was going to be called out. But then you obviously see him from a different angle and it's like, it's a beauty of a header. Yeah, he is offside though. <laughs> slightly, slightly, very, very slightly. But, you know, with Mitrovic, it's just a case of he's such a massive ball up the top, isn't he? That 
he doesn't ever stop giving the defenders, you know, a grief. really hard time. He yeah. never stops giving them grief. He never wants to, them to get touched out. He's always looking for space. And towards the end, that must become knackering, just trying to consistently fight this massive man who's trying to, like, bang one in the net. I think the Mill one is a, is, a, is a great example of that. He didn't give them a moment's rest. And when he did... He put it in the back of the net. It's as simple as that. He's, the quality we see from him is, is far and above what we've ever seen from a striker in a very long time. I think um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, well, one of the Man City players a few weeks ago, I think it was Raheem Sterling, basically said out that Pep is, a lot of what he says to the team is, let's just keep attacking the other team. Keep, keep at them the whole game and just kind of just, you know, Go to get that them into submission, really, because you know, make it attack them, score one, score two, score three, doesn't matter what the score line is, keep attacking, keep attacking, and you know, it just kind of makes the other team surrender, bludgeon them into surrender, exactly. Yeah, and I'm sure that's what a lot of the other top teams do. You know, you see it at Liverpool, and you know, when they're the style of football that they play, and maybe that's what Slavisa is telling our team, potentially. Um, it's one of those things where. You know, obviously, that's we very much com- we've compared Fulham to Man City a lot this year, and probably probably more than we should have done in, in justification. But <laughs> no, there Man, are Man pa- City should be compared to Fulham. There are parallels, and and they do need to be drawn upon. Um, but Fulham don't Fulham do attack in waves. I think you're you're spot on in, in that sense. But we don't have that thing where if we're two 0 up, we will just continue attacking teams. We then just keep the ball, which is a little bit strange in in comparison to that kind of Guardiola method, which doesn't allow teams to slip up and yes it does occasionally let teams in to draw and but most of the time it means that teams are absolutely bludgeoned into the ground and we've seen less of that than we did last year from Fulham mm. the one thing that kind of worries me a little bit was it took Ryan Fredericks to take the ball into the corner for the first time whereas none other no other player I think maybe one other did try and take the ball into the corner when he they had the opportunity but it took Ryan Fredericks um our right back to actually go, right, I'm taking this to to the corner now. No other player on the pitch decided I'm going to do that uh, with how many minutes there were left in the game. And perhaps it goes back to some other times where we, where Ben has talked about our game management. And, you know, that's quite an extreme example, but there are times where perhaps we could manage the game a bit better. We're much better at managing the game this season than we were last. But I think for me, it's just a case of, Slav's always been really vocal about saying this and quite open as well, which is really refreshing for a manager in that he says the squad is just not built to withstand any sort of de- defensive like pressure, really, in the fact that we're a, play- we're a squad of players and a manager that really likes to be in control of the ball and they like to suffocate teams in the f- by keeping the ball. You know, the other team can't score if they're not keeping the ball, so you know, what, what else are we to do apart from pass? And I think there's a certain there's an argument between who's the more pragmatic manager. Is it Mourinho, who's you know very much defensive kind of guy who doesn't want to let in a goal, or is it Guardiola in the fact that he will do whatever it takes to win? But I think Slav's pragmatism here is you know we're two 0 up, we need to keep the ball. They simply cannot score without it. Mm. Let's just do it. And I, I actually quite enjoy it. And it's it's a really good form of game management. Game management isn't necessarily just playing for space or playing for yardage or taking it to the corner game management is preventing your other team from not scoring and that's just the way we do it mm. we've got much better at it going back to the free kick um, it was Kamara that won the free kick which is an interesting point that he created the first goal for Fredericks on the overlap and then won the free kick that we scored the second from he did brilliantly and it's a lovely delivery from Steph Joe but I want to touch on Rui Font and uh, I'm <laughs> sure boy. you've all seen yeah, Rui's celebration Rui celebrates you know, as if he scored the winner at Wembley, um, mm. and he's a fan, and I love that from a player who you know has come in for big money, sat on the bench for a majority of the season, hasn't had too many chances, especially since Mitrovic has come in. Um, for him to be that passionate about us scoring a goal is, is fantastic. I think you, you, it's kind of testament to the squad that that Fulham have that you know even the fringe players are so invested in the fact that Fulham are you know gunning for promotion and it's there they're waiting to happen hopefully um and you know even in the midway through the season i saw like when one of the goals went in against burton not his goal he still celebrated it as if it was another sort of fa cup final goal and it was already like four nil by that stage um and i think roy hodgson uh, when he was building the team 
that he said that uh, when he first came in that some of the players, especially in the fringe part of the squad, just didn't care. They just didn't care. And that's maybe why that Slavisa has fallen out of favour with some other players earlier on the season that some were getting called in, some were getting called um, calls to get into the team that perhaps they just didn't care enough as much as Rui Font did or Lucas Piazon when he was on the fringes for a little bit. It's all about squad harmony, literally all about squad harmony. I think we spoke about this last year and that we'd never seen a Fulham team feel so together. And if anything, the togetherness this year has probably got a little bit better in the fact that, as Farrell says, the guys that are on this, the edges of the squad really feel a part of it, even though they're not getting much playing time. And I think the guys that, you know, probably weren't adding a lot to the squad, but weren't adding a lot to the dressing room either, like some Molo, Graham, uh, Suarez, you might be a little bit hard-pressed to try and find him being negative because I don't think he'd be that type of player, but both of them are gone. And ever since then, we've been on an upturn of results where it feels like the main core of the squad is just so together and they have one focus and there's no one bringing them down, there's no one going to stop them and that's why we're on a 23-game unbeaten run. I thought a really nice point on this was that um, Tom Kearney's Instagram story on Saturday night was him out just with Thomas Callas and Cyrus Christie, which yeah. is a really rogue group of individuals but and, and not necessarily one you would have immediately thrown together, but it is a really nice sign of that there is, you know, across this Fulham team a lot of friendships that yeah. are, you know, occurring off the pitch as well as on it, which is which is always nice to see. That, that Piazon and Michael Maddell bromance that unfortunately got broken up is <laughs> And Bettinelli. Bettinelli yeah. loves Michael Maddell more than anyone else. All constantly, of them do. constantly just tweets at Michael Maddell. I'm like, you're right, pal. <laughs> um, it's very much... On that topic, where was Cabano? In the stands. And why... He came out and did his lap of honour, which mm-hmm. was nice, and there yeah. were some really nice pictures of, of a couple of them together. But... It seemed like the kind of game that you'd want a Cabano figure on the bench for, and it, I don't quite understand why he wasn't, especially with no other wingers on the bench. Any thoughts, or has he has he had a full line out with Savisa after that Brentford game? But he was on the bench at Millwall, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. was. I, I I have no reason for it. I, I can't make any assumptions on it because I've not been involved. The only thing I can think of is that maybe you know Savisa's lost a little bit of trust in him after a couple of performances. You know what? He's, he's a, a, a manager that values work rate, honesty, trust, and, you know, being you know very committed to the cause. And sometimes Cabano doesn't exactly come across like that, but we all know what he can do. So his effect is there. I can see him being brought back into the squad should we need a, a winger there. Overall, a good win? Yeah, tough. A, a good win against a tough side. And a tougher game than potentially we expected. Yeah, I was saying to uh, some... Uh, friends before the game and they were all really excited a few of them were like I think it's going to be 8-0 uh, yeah, yeah exactly like... and I, admittedly I said I'm a little bit nervous before that game I, I, I have to admit I didn't have the confidence of of some of my peers but um, and you know they weren't misplaced because Sunderland came out flying they were motivated they really wanted to upset the Fulham apple cart We'll leave it there on the Black Cats from Friday. And coming up, we're going to be talking about Cardiff, Reading and Birmingham. Just to remind you that Thursday will see the release of Fulhamish Extra where we will be talking a whole lot more about the upcoming fixtures this weekend and the final day of the championship season hopefully and with a Birmingham fan potentially even with a Cardiff fan and we'll see what they all have to say about the championship running. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Cardiff at Hull. Obviously, not the result we wanted at Hull as Cardiff rolled them over reasonably easily. Were we expecting a little bit too much from a Hull side who was safe from relegation and with very little to play for? In short, yes. Um, you know, they've got, as you said, they've got nothing on them. They don't need to worry about uh, being relegated anymore. They'd done what they needed to do over the, over the previous nine games, in which I think they only had one loss in there. Um, you know, it's really difficult to expect any club that's sort of halfway on the beach to do you a favour, especially against a, a side that is as determined and as hungry as Cardiff were. And Hull didn't really threaten whatsoever. They didn't have a shot on target. Yeah, and to have your centre-back score two against you, one where he's danced around about half the team in the box is quite shameful. I was just going to come on to that. Sean Morrison defiantly answering his critics with two goals, the second of which was obviously a very, very good goal. Yeah. And that's the kind of performance as a captain you need to make after a bad result, no? Yeah, it's one of them stand up and be counted moments. And I think he stood up and was counted pretty well. You know, 
that's the way you you lead a club up into you know the upper echelons of a of a league, and that's how you get them up out of a league. And you know, if you're going to put your club on your back, you don't want anyone else to do it apart from the captain. He done it quite well. Um, that's very cliched that sentence, but keep it in there. Why not? <laughs> um, you've got you've got to hand out credit where it's due, and you know we've all been banging on about how Cardiff are ripe for the taking, and you know the pressure is fully on, but. They are dealing with it, and they're dealing with it well. They had a very convincing result on Saturday, so fair play to them. Let's just hope that it doesn't continue this Sunday. Well, obviously, I was I was just about to say we want Cardiff to lose, but there's got to be some admiration for their spirit, drive, and ability to stay calm in what was a massively yeah. pressured situation at a team that had been free scoring, and, and and albeit we've you know said about them being a little bit halfway to the beach, but you know Harry Wilson's been an inspired form. You know, there has been a lot of a lot of talk about Hull being the team that was a massive hurdle, and and Cardiff dealt with that without Gunnison, who went off very very early with an injury, um, and who'd been a bit of a cult hero there, mm. and to to go and just win that game in the way that they did is is very very impressive. Yeah, he's been a cult hero for them for a very long period of time now as well, hasn't he? Um, as well as being Iceland captain, when, when you lose someone of that stature, it's really really hard to replace them, and I think they did that quite well this weekend and. They never, as as we touched on earlier, they never ever looked to be in any sort of doubt that they would let this result slip, and they're doing quite well. Um, so yeah, I, I think Cardiff, you know, you have to pay respect to them because in, in the squad they've got is very limited. You know, the style of football they play isn't quite expansive, but they get the job done, and that's all you've got to give them credit for. There is a page on Twitter called EFL Stats, and they do a lot of different things one of the things they do is the likelihoods of all the different permutations left in the league they currently have us at 18% likely to gain an automatic spot is that the dream mostly done or, or do we think they think that it's 72% like, more like, likely that Cardiff are going to clinch the second spot than we are do we do we have to deal with the kind of idea that that, that it's probably done 80, 82% 82% my right. bad yeah it's alright um yeah I, I've got to have hope that it's not as done and dusted as those stats suggest. You know, crazier things have had in football. Of course. Yeah, I don't think it's fully off. Following on from the cliche fest that we've had today. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, I'd be very, very disappointed that we don't pick up a win on, on Sunday, considering how... You know, Slavisa would be. It's it's just not in our dictionary to sort of capitulate, um, as we would do. The only thing that is going against us is that Birmingham have something to play for, as well as Reading. Yeah. So I don't know that's going to be for or against us. It, you know, it might work in each equal measure. I think Reading when Reading when they played Ipswich this weekend sort of thought, you know, oh we're all right, it will be fine, and then they get off the pitch and they they suddenly realise that actually next week they've got to pull a win out of the bag. Mm. Otherwise they could be in serious jeopardy of dropping out of this league the year after they reach the playoff final. It's, it's a very real situation for them now. And I think the game that Cardiff will be coming into just got, you know, hundred percent more like tougher um for them. I don't think Reading necessarily have the quality to to cause Cardiff a lot of issues. But they've got some players in there that can, you know, they've still got the likes of Mo Barrow, they've got Sonia Luco. You know, even even Chris might Chris Martin might do something, but we, I doubt we, it. But the thing is, they are still they are still proven championship players. They are still you know very good professional footballers exactly. who can they, cause teams problems. They're not going to stop. They've got something to play for. Both teams have all four teams in the, uh, that we've touched on have all got stuff to play for. I I do feel threatened by some of Birmingham's players. I'm not going to lie. Like the likes of Yotta, mm. I still feel very threatened by him, and I I sort of wished. The rumours were true in that we may have signed him. They've got uh, David Davis as well, who's a pretty, a pretty good player on his day. And they've got a couple of centre-backs there that we're used to playing against in Harley Dean. Mm. But it won't give us an easy game, although it is against Mitrovic. So, fingers crossed, we'll all be up there. Yeah, of course. Well, look, we're going to talk more about all the permutations of Sunday's games on the Extra podcast later in the week. But um, for now, we'll, we'll leave that there and we'll move into the questions for this week. Ben Jarman, I, I feel like you maybe have, have the questions for us. I do have the questions for us. Okay, so we'll start in the post bag, which is fairly full today. And we'll start with Matthew Wall from email. Uh, don't forget you can obviously email us, uh, Instagram us, and also tweet us. Uh, and 
uh, message us on Facebook as well. So we'll tweet out all the links uh, when we do ask for questions. But Matthew says, do we rest players at Birmingham, i.e. Mitro, Kenny, Fredo, on the basis that playoffs are very likely, or do we go for it? Easy to say latter, but we looked leggy and Cardiff will surely beat Reading at home for promotion. Playoffs without Mitro or Kenny due to injury is unthinkable. Actually, include Reem on my list above. So uh, I'll, hon- I'll hand it to the host first. I-, I see where he's coming from, potentially more than most, because I think that our fringe players are better than occasionally we give them credit for. The likes of... I wouldn't mind seeing the likes of Cyrus Christie in here this week. You know, I, I don't think we can rest TC. I don't think we can afford to go that much. And Mitrovic should probably start. But I wouldn't mind if we were... You know, if we if you, go, you come in at half-time and Cardiff are 4-0 up, I wouldn't mind you looking at taking Mitrovic off, giving him a break. I've got to agree with Jack on the point about, you know, if circumstance dictates, i.e. if Cardiff are going to be you know, 4-0 up at half-time, then perhaps we start resting some players. But apart from that, absolutely not that we're going to rest players or we should rest players on on Sunday. We can't just, you know, even if there is a 18% chance of Fulham getting automatic promotions, we've got to be able to see that opportunity. You know, if Cardiff lose, we'll be kicking ourselves the fact that we don't win on, on, on Sunday. And... Even if there, you know, even if there was a ten percent chance or, or or anything like that, we've got to be able to be ready to seize upon any opportunity. From my personal point of view, I know Slav well enough to understand that he won't ever drop or rotate anyone while there's still a chance that we can go up permanently. If it's a one percent chance, you know, ten percent chance, or the eighteen percent chance that EFL stats have got us down for, there's definitely a chance that we can still go up. And I think Slav knows that. He wants to keep the pressure on Cardiff and try and make them slip up, even if it's from like a mental point of view. So I can't see us we'll, that we'll rotate at all. Um, perhaps, as Jack says, it may, came down, may come down to circumstance, but you have to remember that there have been times in sport where teams have had less than 1% chance of winning, like the Patriots did in the Super Bowl, but they come back to win. And there's always a chance that Fulham can still go up on this at this chance automatically, and I can't see him rotating. Uh, the next question we have is from FFC Dom, and he says, which of the loan signings would you make permanent? I know that we discussed quite a lot of this last week about Mitrovic and Mitrovic and Target. So it's been, you know, we'll, we'll take them as given from all three of us, I think, which is which is quite crucial. But I think the, the other player I would I'd bring in permanently, I know this is the answer that Tom wants to hear, is Lucas Piazon, who obviously is such a good fit for, for Slavisa's system. Yes, he's not a well-beater and he's not the well-beater that Chelsea thought he was when we signed him for a million pounds. But, you know... Ultimately, he fits Lavisa's system. Savisa trusts him, and he obviously has you know immense talent. And as we've discussed before on this podcast, in the Premiership, you get more time on the ball, and you get more chances to to make things happen in tight spaces. And I think that that's something that Lucas Piazon can you know adapt to and really improve on next year. And he doesn't seem to mind either being as part of the squad, part of, you know, a rotation policy. And, and that's something you, you know, you like and his, his desire to be at Craven Cottage and, you know, the kind of work rate he puts in and the kind of passion he shows with the badge. And I know that sounds a bit passion, but <laughs> he, he does, you know, clearly want to be here. And, and, and over these two years, I think he's done enough to earn himself a permanent place here. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to echo what Jack says. I mean, the that kind of would challenge that would, of the loans, loan signings would be Thomas Callas. Although Thomas Callas's obvious ability and is very capable at this level, the fact that Dennis Adoy has outshone him the last couple of months. It's difficult to add anything to that, but maybe a slightly controversial point is that I still feel perhaps that Thomas Callas is riding off the coattails of a wonderful season last year. I feel that at times this season has been something lacking in some of his performances that have shown that whilst definitely um, capable at this level, that maybe a step up into the Premier League might be a little bit too far for him. There have been times where he's given away rash penalties, um, really rash yellow cards, and it hasn't been the greatest at playing out the back. and It has looked very wobbly. Um, so I think if we are to sign Callis, he needs to step it up a little bit. And as you say, Farrell, he's been outshone by Dennis Adoy over the past few seasons. A uh, few games, sorry. I think our next question will come from Lester Wyatt, who's a regular contributor. So thanks for this, mate. He says, why isn't TC taking the free kicks well within shooting range? There was three or four opportunities against Sunderland where he could have done so, but didn't have a pop at all. I feel like he doesn't shoot or dictate games for us half as much as he did last season. And JJWC, I'll throw this over to you. Yeah, I kind of see 
to a point where, where you're coming from on this one, Lester, there is, you know, a natural inclination to suggest that Tom Kearney should be good at free kicks because of the way that he shoots and the, and the kind of places that he often takes on shots from uh, tend to be within free kick range. And, and that kind of way that he shapes his body and curls things does suggest that he should be able to take a set piece. That said, he's never really done that for us. And, and it's not something that he used to take free kicks and they used to all go in and now he doesn't anymore. But, you know, there, there is something to suggest that maybe he's quite good. And the only thing I would, would argue is that Steph Joe's quite good at free kicks and has scored a couple this season. And Mitrovic has also got a free kick in his locker. So it's not some, it's not suggesting that, you know, suddenly we have people taking free kicks who are absolutely desperate. I mean, players who have scored free kicks in their careers before are now stepping up to take free kicks. So, you know, while I agree with you in sentiment that it would be nice to see Tom Kearney standing over the board in those situations, especially as a captain, it's not always the, you know, it's always sometimes the, the right decision is to let, you know, another person step up to take that. Yeah, um, I do echo that. And, you know, you, you look at the the quality of Tom Kearney, that doesn't necessarily mean that he is the best set piece taker. You know, the footballing history is, is rife with players, especially like fullbacks, who have been excellent free kick takers, but not necessarily the best player in the team. Um, although we have seen Tom Kearney take the odd free kick here and there, but probably not not a lot this season if at all really the um i mean was it was it his free kick in the reading playoff semi-final that led to the aluko chance potentially uh, but that's the only win that really one that really strikes out to me um and as we've spoken about a lot and you know even earlier on that um set pieces aren't really our strength anyway to be honest, it doesn't really it doesn't really match on our radar. It has got be- it has got better since last season because I was I was spitting feathers about the quality of the the set pieces we were taking last year. This season it has got better, but we score so many without them. I don't think it's worth really you know um, talking about too much. I don't think it's a massive thing at all. But all I do remember is that on Soccer Home a couple of weeks ago when TC was on it, they banged out a. A wonderful video of him scoring an exquisite free kick against Norwich City well, back when he first started uh, out for hole. Um, so I do think there is some value there, but I don't think it's a massive thing, to be quite honest with you. Fair enough. Are we uh, last maybe room for one more question, Ben? Maybe a fun question. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think we'll go with um, which player do we want to score the goal that sends us up to the Premier League? Oh, Chris Martin, probably. <laughs> <laughs> You know, my, my favourite player is Shawnee Aluko still, so uh, hopefully he bags one. I would absolutely love to see it come from Kevin McDonald. I'd love to oh, be yeah. the most shithouse goal where it's bundled in, perhaps like the one that came off his backside a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he absolutely roars over to us fans and everything's going crazy as we find out that Cardiff was also just letting a, a, a 79th minute winner from Aluko. As we discussed earlier about... Um, about a certain player like I think this player if he does score a winner on Sunday to send Fulham up he might actually explode and that would be Rui Font considering what he's like when he's on the bench or doesn't score if he actually scores on Sunday he he, he could actually literally explode I would like it to be Rui Font that, that, was, that is my genuine answer yeah. just Chris Martin is a, is a tasteful or fair <laughs> proposition um, I, would, I would love it to be Rui Font for, for a lot of the stick he's come through this season the, the kind of obvious passion he displays for the club it, it is lovely and I really do yeah. really do wish him all the best and I think that would be a nice way to you know really endear himself to Fulham fans forever we we did talk about it earlier on this season, but the misplaced abuse at Rory Font is just mind boggling. Like it maybe it's to do with his transfer fee. I don't know what it is, but he's quite clear. You know, he's quite clearly a good player. He quite clearly loves the club. He wants the club to do well, and you know it would answer some of those critics if he does pop up and score a goal and jump into the into the away end and throw his shirt up into the crowd and get sent off and then get sent off but <laughs> yeah. we would love him <laughs> yeah we love him forever I think that's probably 
probably most people's opinions and, and things. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people that want Tim Ream to score, plenty of people that would love it to be Ryan Sessegnon and a whole shebang that would love it to be Tom Kenny from 35 yards with a thunderbolt. But <laughs> Free it, kick. it's a really fun for me, I think. Yeah, or David Button. That's probably about all we've got time for on, on this Fulhamish. We have the, the undue process of naming the podcast. The trick with today's podcast is that I'm not going to throw it to either of the secretarial duties for, for once. I'm sorry, boys. Um, and this podcast is, is going to be called Fulhamish 100 and potentially ton up if I feel if I feel the need <laughs> to, to really throw it that way. And, you know, on our 100th podcast, it, it only feels right to, to thank a lot of people, not only the two boys here in the studio with me, but also obviously Sammy, who... You know, this is his brainchild and his project first off, and he, he was the one that brought us brought us in in the first place. And he, you know, this is this is all because of him. So Sam deserves, you know, all the credit for for everything that Philemish do, and and that's you know how it began and how it will always be. And there are plenty of other people to thank. Don Betts, who has become part of the lifeblood of this podcast and is such a crucial part of this team and, and provides us with so many so much laughter and, and so many brilliant things as well. All of our writers who do fantastic things with us, everyone who has been on podcasts in the last year, but mostly everyone listening into this and, and you who listen to this podcast every week, who send us in questions, who you know interact with the whole thing and have made it what it is today. And we can't really thank you enough to everyone who supports the podcast in any any way shape or form and and from the bottom of our hearts it, it means a lot that this podcast has you know gone on from strength to strength since its beginning and 100 is just the start i suppose is is the only way to finish this but it's been an absolute pleasure um and thank you very much to farrell monk oh thank you jack jack i i, I can't stress enough how how amazing job you and sammy and dom do to keep this going to get to 100 and here's to the next 900 <laughs> Ben, ben conveniently left up that. Thank you very much to Ben John. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks, ben, Sammy. Ben, thanks. ben knows I love him. I love him very much. I'd like to say, yeah, thanks to Jack. Thanks to Sammy. Thanks to Adam Farquhar and Drew Heatley, uh, Don Betts, um, Jack Kelly, uh, all the rest of the guys, Dave, um, you know, everyone else that supports us. Um, Jeff Bruce as well, massive player at Fulham. Great guy. Uh, everyone apart from Farrell Monk. <laughs> That's probably just about it from us. And honestly, thank you to absolutely everyone who is part of the podcast in any way, shape, or form. We really do appreciate it. We will see you at Birmingham. <laughs> the Steve Fulham get promoted on the back of the show on here, Luke Goal. Thank you very much. Won't be uh, Farrell doesn't know yet, but it'll be his last podcast. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>